start for 2020 hello is anybody out there i'm out there <laughs> who are you <laughs> welcome to pontifex i'm fry and i'm brie drinking all of the popes from peter to francis and this is episode 67 pope sabinian okay this is gonna be entirely different from gregory like so different Remember when you asked me, who are we doing next? And I said, not Gregory. Did you tweet M-dash at me, you jerk? Yes, I did. With no context. We could literally just call Sabinian not Gregory because he is like the anti-Gregory. Is it time to rate him? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> well, it's definitely going to be anti-Gregory in terms of length, but literally he's often referred to as the foil of Gregory. So like, this is anti-Gregory for realsies, so... Yeah, but on that note, before we get going, on the date that we are recording today, December 17th, because this is getting released in 2020, but it is Pope Francis's birthday! Yay! Oh, is it today? It's today! So, Felice Compliano! Papa Francesco! <laughs> Happy birthday, Frank! He's 83 today, so I just feel like that's, you know, something we gotta celebrate a little bit. That is more than double my age. Mm-hmm. It is more than double my age. A little under triple my age. We cannot even add both our ages together to get to that. No, we definitely can't. Well, we're not that far apart in age. <laughs> that would just be like doubling our ages. What do you mean I'm 84 years older than you? I'm actually older than Frank. Well, we are the old biddies. The papisas are old biddies, guys. Oh, maybe if we add Mulbean's age, maybe we can get closer. Yeah, yeah, we would be closer. That's that's true. All right, so the old biddies all combined might equal Pope Francis's age as of today. Yep, so that's a thing. So now, are you ready for Sabinian? Uh, yeah. Sabinian was born in Bieta, which is modern-day Blera, which feels like they took a fancy word and just turned it into a fry word. No, what that sounds like is someone kept hitting... The generate place name button on, like, because they have those for, you know, like, if you can't come up with your D&D character, like, place names. That's how we ended up with Grips Morass. <laughs> yep. So, it was Bieta. It is now Blera. And it's in central Italy. And he was born somewhere around the year 530. And his father's name was Bonus. Let's stop and do a good start. We're doing so great. Hello, 2020. So other than that, we don't know anything about his early life or the majority of his adulthood, other than to assume that he joined the church at some point. I would hope so. We don't actually catch up again with Sabinian in any recorded detail until October 15th of 590, when he was made a cardinal deacon around the age of 60 years old. We can also assume that he made some sort of impression on Pope Gregory, because shortly after he was given the new position of being a cardinal deacon, Gregory then appointed him to be the next Apocrisarius, a.k.a. the papal nuncio to Constantinople. But for some reason, it is said that Sabinian wasn't really up to the task in Constantinople. 
the Byzantine rulers didn't think that he was very intelligent or very persuasive, and Gregory wasn't particularly impressed with his lackluster efforts in the ongoing conflict over the Bishop of Constantinople using that title of ecumenical patriarch. So you have Gregory, who's willing to starve himself to death, but work really, really hard at everything, and then he sends this Apocrisarius over to Constantinople, and he's not doing a whole lot, and he's not presenting himself as even being very smart. So, based on a letter that Gregory sent to Sabinian during the Apocrisariat, it seems that Sabinian might have even been won over or slightly intimidated by the Bishop of Constantinople, the man that they're having a conflict with, and maybe he just decided not to press the issue, because he's like, I am either scared of this man, or this man has convinced me that this title that should belong to the Pope should also belong to him. So, I am going to read you this letter from Gregory to Sabinian. I hope in Almighty God that the supernatural majesty will confound his hypocrisy. But I wondered how he could so deceive thy love as thou shouldest allow the Lord Emperor to be persuaded to write to me himself concerning this matter, admonishing me to have peace with him. For if the Lord Emperor wishes to observe justice, he ought to have admonished him to refrain from the proud title, and then at once there would have been peace between us. And as we saw, uh, things did not really improve for Gregory in this dispute over the ecumenical patriarch title which means that Sabinian's duty as Apocrisariat had failed, and so he gets recalled and is returned to Rome in 597. We're not off to a great start. He has failed as Papal Apocrisarius. And yet, despite his failure, it seemed that Gregory kept Sabinian around and made use of him in the local churches. You failed. Go do this job, please. But he must have made at least a marginally positive impression during that time, because when Gregory died on March 12th of 604, Sabinian was elected to succeed him. And this probably happened pretty soon after Gregory's death, but of course because they had to wait for imperial confirmation to consecrate, Sabinian wasn't consecrated to the papacy until September 13th of 604, several months later. And... As he's coming into the papacy, things are not great. You know, although there had been some Lombard peace, many sources still say that Sabinian regularly had to pay off the threat of invasion. So he's taking on Gregory's policy, but one bribe has not been enough. They have to continue to pay off the Lombards. On top of that, the famine continued on in Rome, harvests are going bad, and Right at the beginning of his papacy, smallpox decided to make another aggressive and devastating appearance. Here comes the smallpox. And that's what smallpox do. So, but remember, with all this going on, Gregory had emptied the coffers of the church and expended the majority of the food that the church had, and all for free. Like, there, there is no more money in the church, and all of the food that they'd been giving out for free, now the shipments of new food was strained, and the people of Rome are still as hungry and as destitute as ever because conditions are still terrible. And so Sabinian decided to do something that, in, in hindsight, is very hard to understand. He decides, again, that he, he's not 
going to be Gregory. And rather than continue on as Gregory had, distributing the food of the church for free, he starts charging people for it. Oh no! At an inflated price! Mm -mm. So, the Liber Pontificalis tells us that the price was one solidus, or 12 shillings, for 30 modi of wheat or 30 pecks of corn. And this is an insane amount of money, because I'm going to give you a comparison here. One solidus could literally buy you a person at the slave market. A whole person. A whole person for one solidus, or this little bit of actual food. As for the measurements, I learned that a peck today is measured as two two dry gallons. Imperial system, what? So it's, basic, it's basically a quarter of a bushel. So this is making sense to you because I'm like, mm, sure. I feel like I, I put this knowledge away somewhere at some point. It's for 30 pecks of corn. So it's a quarter bushel. He is basically selling corn and wheat to people who have nothing for an insane amount of money. One solidus is, is enough to buy a person. So every day that you go and get food, you're basically buying a people's worth. That's expensive. It's so expensive. And it's so not a good look. From a modern perspective, we can perhaps look back and say, okay, he had no money, and he had to pay off invading threats, and he had to keep the church going. You know, he had to do all these things. Where's he going to get the money? Maybe this was his reasoning. And that's, that's if we're being sympathetic. Looking back on this and trying to make an argument to defend Sabinian's choices is difficult, but you could, you could reason with it a little bit. But the people of Rome at the time are not sympathetic. They are infuriated and they are appalled. And soon stories start cropping up that Sabinian refuses to feed the people of Rome because he feels that they've been spoiled. And there's all these stories that he's going around and, you know, basically knocking Gregory's efforts as being self-aggrandizing rather than a general desire to help the poor. It's not good. Probably neither of these are true, but the people who are hearing these stories are believing them, and they quickly turn on Sabinian, and he becomes not only heavily unpopular, but straight up despised by the people. And this selling of the last remaining foodstocks of Rome is what he will become famous, or rather infamous for, for all of history, and pretty much all that is recorded on him. So, like, this is a big deal. So, basically, if you're a starving person in Rome, and you've been getting food for free, and you're very, very grateful, and then Gregory dies, and Sabinian comes in, and he's like, you have to pay me a whole people's worth to get this. And then you start hearing that maybe he's refusing people who can't pay because they've been spoiled. You're gonna hate this man, so bad. So do they rise up and murder him? Um, well, we're gonna get to that. We're gonna get to that in a minute. I'm not gonna answer your question right yet, because before we get to that, I want to get to his other two neutral contributions to the church that are somewhat important. Historian Onofrio Panvinio, in his work The Epitome Pontificum Romanorum, 
tells us that Sabinian was responsible for introducing a new custom of ringing church bells at the canonical hours and during the Eucharist. That's one thing he added to the church that is not negative. And the Liber Pontificalis tells us that unlike his predecessor, Sabinian filled the church with clergy, or that he brought the ecclesiastical positions back into the hands of clerics, like priests and deacons, whereas Gregory had filled them with monks. So now those positions are going back to the people they were intended for instead of just monks. I told you, he is literally the anti-Gregory. <laughs> it's not a lot, but it's worth noting, because we need to at least give him something that's not terrible. All right. In the midst of this general controversy that he has now caused, Pope Sabinian died on February 22nd of 606, at the estimated age of 76. So he did not last very long. And there's no reputable record on exactly how he died, but that definitely hasn't prevented some legendary stories. And maybe even a miracle. Miracles? And I mean, this definitely isn't a miracle for Sabinian, but the golden legend suggests that Sabinian was killed by a ghost. What? Not just any ghost. The ghost of Pope Gregory. Ooh, spooky. Boops. Yeah, so according to the legend, Pope Gregory appeared to Sabinian as a spirit three times to tell him that he needed to share the corn with the people of Rome for free. But every time, Sabinian refused. And so when Gregory came to visit him a fourth time, he just struck Sabinian on the head with his ghostly staff and killed him dead. Oh, with his staff? With his ghost staff? With his ghost staff. The ghost of Pope Gregory the Great appeared to Sabinian and killed him dead with a stick. We're going to accept that as, as the historical fact from here on out, because the Pope was killed by a ghost. That's so crazy. This is the best thing ever. The Pope was killed by a ghost. So he's dead, killed by a ghost. And his funeral procession was also unusual. It was done in relative secret, and when it left the Lateran, the procession had to take a massive detour around the city, outside of the walls of Rome, to the Milvian Bridge, to get it to St. Peter's, to avoid the center of the city entirely, because the clerics who had to carry him were terrified of angry, hostile mobs that were waiting, fully prepared and fully intending to throw Sabinian's body into the Tiber. They are coming for him. You definitely get a really good public feeling on this one. They want to throw him into the Tiber. That is where criminals go. That's intense. Super intense. They are ready to throw their dead pope in the river. So they managed to make it all the way to St. Peter's, and he is buried in a tomb in St. Peter's. Once they've made this huge detour around the city, avoiding all these mobs. And he was buried under the pavement in the atrium. And of course, his tomb was destroyed in the demolition of old St. Peter's. His epitaph was also mostly destroyed, but only fragments remain. And the only reason that we have a record of the full original is thanks to Wendy J. Reardon and her book, The Deaths of the Popes. So it says, 
O fierce, voracious death, consider. Your power can do nothing. You think that he has perished, but he lives forever. For distributing his goods and riches, he left nothing behind when he passed from this life. He did not suddenly assume the crown of praise, but step by step he merited to grow into a holy man. And with mild words, he removed human vice not as a judge of the guilty, but as a cure. A bishop of whom no horror of war could disturb, nor cruel angelic wounds anger. Whoever he saw hungry or angry or found naked, he conquered with tears of all their terrors. Here rests Sabinian, who reigned one year, five months, nine days, buried 25th of March on the fourth year of Focus. So it's a weird epitaph. Mm-hmm. It's got a tone to it. <laughs> and that is literally all of Sabinian. Oh, we're done already. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. He is the anti-Gregory in every way, and it's going to be very, very amusing to compare their scores. Are you ready? Yes. Papatum infallium. He failed convincing the East not to use the title of ecumenical patriarch while he was an apocrysarius. He did not do anything during his time as Pope that enhanced the papacy or aided the papacy at all. People wanted to throw him in the Tiber River. That's all I got. I really have to give him a zero, possibly a, n a negative ten. <laughs> Definitely a zero for me. There is there is nothing redeeming here about his papacy. Fructus prohibitum. Okay, we're going to talk about the whole famine situation in Seculari Impactum. But I do think we need to give him at least one point here for potentially profiting off the famine situation. Yeah, no, he was being kind of a big old dick, so I don't know, like, a, I'm gonna give him a two. Okay, you'll give him a two, I'll give him a one, he'll get a three in Fructus Prohibitum. For being a Richard. <laughs> <laughs> Seculari Impactum. His actions make him literally despised. He may have contributed to the death of starving people. That's a hard zero. Yes, it is. But I also want to just say, in his defense, he was not responsible for the bad weather or the disease or the famine. Like, even Gregory the Great was getting slightly unpopular in his last years due to the empty coffers and the slowing of the food. So he didn't have much of a chance. Look, Bree, he's being a real piece of right now. He is being a real piece of right now. And it is a zero. I'm just, you know, trying to make it fair and say, you know, we can't blame him for famine. We can blame him for charging people for food during a famine, though, for sure. So it's a zero. Fossium Sanctus. Are you ready to see this Pope man who denied everybody food? Yeah, show me his face. All right, here he is. Oh boy, here we go. He looks so gentle. He does look gentle and he looks like Oh, like it's just, oh. Oh. I don't know. Oh, everyone's still dying. Oh, they all hate me. Oh, I'm gonna get killed by a ghost. <laughs> it's bald Colin Mockery again. Here we go. Kind of, yeah. I kind of like it because he looks so unexpected, I guess. You expect to see a villainous looking man like Vigilius, but he is so gentle and unexpected, so I'm gonna give him a four. Four? Mm -hmm. He is very gentle looking. Okay, you know what? Four's fine. He doesn't look evil. So he'll get a two. 
in Facium Sanctus. Now I have a couple more for you to look at. This one, he definitely does look like an evil douche-in. Wow. I know you said douche-in, but it was like an <laughs> evil douche-in. Hardukin. Well, I mean, could also be applied to this image. He looks straight up evil in he that one. He also has a tiny little skull brooch closing his papal robes. He is the Pope of Death. He let people die. It's bad. One more. That's bald Colin Mockery. It's just the other one with a tinier head. Yeah, he definitely has a really tiny head for the whole of his papal vestments. Here's what happened. Someone, they like, they either start with the body and then realize they didn't have enough room for the head up top, mm-hmm. or they start with the head and, like, left it alone for several weeks and then came back and drew a body, but then weren't paying attention. I don't even know. It's a very big, it's, mm, it's kind of like, uh, the, what's the bald bad guy from Daredevil slash Spider-Man? Are you thinking Superman? Lex no. Luthor? The Kingpin. There we go. I got his name. Oh, duh, yeah, okay. Yeah, he kind of has a kingpin thing, but only in the body. His head's not big enough. Because kingpin's supposed to be, like, freaking huge, right? So... Yeah, yeah. Well, usually, like, in the comics, he's more drawn with, like, huge body, small head. True, like in the Spider-Verse. Yeah. They did that, for sure, yeah. Okay, so he, he has that kingpin look about him. He's also, for whatever reason, just wearing a swim cap. It's clearly just a swim cap, so... He's prepared for when they throw him in the Tiber to just just go for a lap with all the criminal bodies. That's a good time. Tempus Pontificus. So September 13th, 604 to February 22nd of 606, which is about a year and a half, giving him a score of 0.375. All right, everybody, it's the canon bonus round. Do, 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 do. It will not surprise you that he is not a saint. Not at all. Gasp. So that brings us to his total score, which, okay, I want to remind you that Gregory got a 52. And Sabinian has a 5.375. Oh, boy. Now, I think we have a little bit of a discussion here of what, whether he is papally enough, pizzazzy enough, or with an impression enough for a papal bull, because this is a pope who was killed by a ghost. Well, he was killed by a ghost, but he was also a real piece of shit. But sometimes the bad popes are the ones you want to talk about. I don't want to talk about him anymore. I want him to go. Okay, fine. But this is a pope who was killed by a ghost, and I will never let go of it. I am so pleased with that. We could roll a dice. Nah, I don't think he's worth a dice roll. I'm not willing to defend him enough but he was killed by a ghost. And that's amazing. So even though he doesn't make it, I will talk about him a lot in the future. So even though he does not get a papal bull, we are not quite done because it's time for a Pope Watch. Pope in the watch, it's his birthday, and a bunch of other things happen because people linked me. Carlos. (laughs) So you actually know what's coming here, but for anybody who missed the news, and yes, we're getting to this late because this is coming out in 2020, it's our first Pope Watch of the Year, this feels like an appropriate thing to talk about. Today, on the date of recording, December 17th, also Pope Francis's birthday, he delivered a nice birthday present to everyone. 
by announcing in two papal rescripts that he is abolishing the pontifical secret and raising the age of what is considered child pornography in possession of church law to the age of 18. We talked in uh, our bonus episode about PBC 2019 about how it was very odd that in terms of church law, child pornography was any material depicting someone under the age of 14. It is now 18, and the pontifical secret is going to be gone. This is big. Just to clarify, the pontifical secret, first officially imposed in 1974, is the highest level of secrecy and confidentiality in terms of the most grave degree of clerical crime in the Vatican, which prevented victims from getting information or from speaking out about their experience if they were members within the church. The secret was originally implemented under this reasoning of protecting the names of both the accuser and the accused until judgment had been made in the church, but it has really been a tool of suppression of information. And it's basically the church equivalent to top secret. So it would repress anybody from speaking about these events and really prevent, in particular, civil authorities from getting involved. So abolishing the pontifical secret entirely is a direct response to a constant criticism of the church's handling of the sex abuse scandals and how little information the church has been providing. So Vatican officials call the abolition a sign of transparency and cooperation with civil authorities. So this is great news. It is one step that should have been taken a very long time ago, and it is finally being done away with. And that is excellent. Very happy to hear this. But I do want to point out, and it is important to clarify, that the abolition of the pontifical secret does not impact the seal of confessional. So you still cannot, if you hear anything in confessional, you cannot report based on that. If you hear something in this very specific little box, you're not allowed to say something. Exactly. Exactly. Which is still, you know, kind of dumb, but that that is the thing that they do. So the pontifical secret's gone, and members of any position within the church cannot possess any materials depicting any individual's in any form of sexual activity under the age of 18, which also really should have been done a long time ago. But hey, we're here today and it's getting done. So that's our first Pope Watch of 2020. Let's hope that we have lots more on progress on this issue throughout this year. And now we have thank yous to make. And the first thank you I need to make is also for a Patreon. So first, we uh, will absolve you of your temporal punishments. Sasha C. Ego te absolvo. I also need to thank him directly and, and very, very vehemently because he got me the Liber Pontificalis version that I wanted and needed and couldn't find anywhere. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited. You've just made the next 10 to 15 or more episodes so much easier to research. And I'm so happy. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I also want to shout out to Saving the Game, who, again, was talking about us on their show and just giving us some praise and we're very, very nice about it all. So thank you for sending your listeners our way. 
We also need to thank Totalis Rankium and Rex Factor, as always, for being our biggest support. And and we'll thank all of our listeners who are still here with us in 2020. Happy New Year. We hope you stay with us. Yeah, hopefully. Huh? 2020 is going to be a crazy year of Popes, so you're along for the ride now. Stay tuned. And I guess with that, we can say thank you and goodbye. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.